Tonight we will be reading from Matthew 5, 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great, great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Nice. Love your work, Betty. Thank you very much. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Ethan. Uh, hello, everybody online. It is fantastic to have you here. Uh, I just wanted to, yeah, just to, to give a li really quick intro, uh, and then I'm going to show you a, uh, I'm going to get back down and I'll show you a clip real quick that is going to help uh, think about uh, what we heard read tonight. But um, I just wanted to start in prayer, uh, as I think it is really important to uh, spend this time and give it to God. Uh, so please bow with me as I pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, please help us uh, think about our relationship with you tonight. Help us consider your word and may you speak through me uh, as we look at righteousness uh, and what you have to say through the fourth beatitude this evening. Amen. Uh, so the clip I want to show you uh, before we dive into the passage from a film uh, from 2006 uh, it is very poignant uh, and helpful for what we're going to be talking about tonight. The film, uh, I personally consider it to be a social commentary on suburban America uh, and, 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 and an analysis of the effects of urban sprawl. Uh, the film uh, portrays the destructive impact of human development or on natural habitats and wildlife, uh, and it also critiques uh, human society's rampant consumerism and wastefulness. Uh, this scene is a really powerful moment in that film, and I'm going to ask Elijah to play that now. Could we just get the food and go, really? Do they have it or not? Didn't you see it? It was in the box. They've always got food with them. We eat to live. These guys live to eat. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The human mouth is called a pie hole. The human being is called a couch potato. That is the device to summon food. That is one of the many voices of food. That is the portal for the passing of the food. That is one of the many food transportation vehicles. Humans bring the food, take the food, ship the food, they drive the food, they wear the food. That gets the food hot. That keeps the food cold. That, I'm not sure what that is. Ah! What do you know? Food! is the altar where they worship food. That's what they eat when they've eaten too much food. That gets rid of the guilt so they can eat more food. Food, 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 food! Okay, so a little bit more silly than a, than a, than a cultural um, <laughs> uh, poignant commentary. Uh, but the, the, the point still stands. That is, uh, the two, I don't know if you guys have seen that before. That's the DreamWorks' 2006 uh, over the Hedge. Uh, it is a quality film. Uh, it is about a whole bunch of uh, little animals that were in, in a forest, sleeping, hibernating, and they woke up and overnight a suburb was built. And they are absolutely shocked 
and somehow have to collect food. And this guy, uh, the raccoon, whose name is RJ, I got there, uh, raccoon RJ, is, um, has made it his quest to help them. And it's, I, I won't spoil it, because, but he's got some ulterior motives. But it's, it's a good time, so I would recommend. Um, but this, this fun, silly story is actually helpful to the passage we're going to talk about tonight, uh, I promise. And uh, Eli, if you could put that next verse on the screen, this is what we're talking about tonight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. At Soul Revival at the moment, uh, we're looking through a series on the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus took his friends uh, after a little bit of ministry. He, he, he's, been, he's, he's been going around telling everyone about himself. He's been doing some miracles and he grabbed his mates and he went up to a mountain and he said to his, his friends, his disciples, his followers, he gave them a sermon. And we call that uh, sermon the Sermon on the Mount. If you read it out loud, it's, it's actually not that long. Uh, and it begins with eight little beatitudes, we call them, and which is literally, it just means blessings. And these eight blessings are so rich and so excellent that we are spending these next few weeks talking about all of them, each individually, one at a time. Uh, if you haven't been with us for the last little while at Solis, we've just looked at uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And now we have this one. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I am going to spend today pulling apart this section by section. Uh, and where I'm going to get to is not dissimilar to what RJ the raccoon was saying in that video about how we need food. Uh, it, what I'm going to be talking about is that we need to need righteousness. It's a live-to-eat situation. I don't know what it's like in, uh, for those of us online, uh, I don't know what it's like in Tassie, I don't know what it's like in Tokyo uh, or um, for, for Ray. Um, but I think that section, that little bit from RJ, uh, was, he was actually on the money as he talked about the Shire suburban perspective on hunger. A, a differentiation, I, I keep reading, sorry, uh, other people's thoughts on this passage. I've spent a whole bunch of time reading different commentaries and different little books and different little chapters, and each one almost spends a little bit of time saying, in the West, we don't know anything about being hungry. There's, there's a little section about that, and often the author will, will talk about his time doing, uh, having a fast or, or talk about a, a little example that's separate to him. And I think that is, that is, that is totally legitimate because that is the hunger uh, Jesus was talking about. RJ said that the, the animals, they're different to humans because they eat to live. And that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. But when we talk about needing food, we can fall into the trap of opening the fridge on a Sunday night going, oh, I guess I have to go to the shops because there's nothing here. And so as a result, we, uh, by and large, uh, here in the Shire, struggle um, to, to potentially relate with this. But a differentiation I think is helpful from that video is that it shows that we in suburbia live to eat. Food and drink is still really important in our culture. And so something like this passage is still really 
uh, still really resonates. Yes, it's different, but it helps us understand the very nature of our hunger and thirst. No matter how much, how many kebabs I have tonight, I'm gonna eat breakfast tomorrow morning. And no matter how many kebabs I have tonight, I'm gonna eat dinner tomorrow night. I could eat so many that I can't walk and I will still be eating food tomorrow because that is the nature of humanity's relationship with food. It's the constant need that our bodies have for food and water um, and it is, what the, it is what humans, it is the constant need humans should have for righteousness. Like food and water, righteousness is a basic need for the Christian. Looking at the Beatitudes, uh, I've got a slide up here from D.A. Carson who says, the man marked by poverty of spirit, which is the first Beatitude, who grieves over sin, the second one, and approaches God and man with meekness, the next one, must also be characterized as hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's not that he wants to be a little better, still less that he thinks of righteousness as an optional luxury to add to his other graces, rather... He hungers and thirsts for it. He cannot get along without righteousness. It is as important to him as food and drink. So Jesus here is saying that we need righteousness like we need food and water, the essentials that we can't get through a day without. So as we move on to the next bit, this bit here, I've, I've put the word righteousness in bold. Because as I pull apart this thing, I'm looking at each section, we've just spent a little bit of time talking about hunger and thirst, and that's what Jesus is saying. We need righteousness like we need food and water. But to understand that properly, why that need is so desperate, we need to spend a bit of time looking at what righteousness is. Now, you may have heard, if you've been around church for a while, uh, that righteousness is simply, uh, the solid definition is simply right relationship with God. Now, it's not a New Testament thing that Jesus has just thrown in there. Uh, it is something that has been going on throughout the entire Bible uh, as, as the Israelites, God's people, have been pursuing it throughout the whole Old Testament. However, at this time, the, these Israelites, these Jewish people, are still pursuing righteousness. And later on, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, writes uh, that they were doing it all wrong. For them, it became about the law rather than about living for God. Read on me in the screen, read along with me on the screen. It says in Romans 9, uh, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, Gentiles being us, those of us who are non-Jews, uh, the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Today, there is still an idea that we can get to heaven by the stuff we do. But the only way to heaven that the Bible talks about is relationship with God. And that cannot be won or earned. That was never the case in the Old Testament. Since Abraham, it has been always been earned sorry since Abraham it has always been earned by faith and conformity to God's will 
But in Jesus' time, the Israelites thought the way to be right with God was through the pursuit of perfection here on earth by following the law to the letter and then God will be with them. But Paul goes on in chapter 10 of Romans to say, to be right with God, we need faith. Uh, Here it is on the screen. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This concept of righteousness is really important to understand because right relationship with God is the ultimate conformity to God's will. Following Him, faith in Jesus, that's all it takes to get to the legal state of being okay with God, being in relationship with Him. It is because because Israel were God's people already that He gave them the laws, that He set them apart, not the other way around. They didn't earn that at all. It is earned not by works, not by establishing our own heaven-win conditions, but by submitting to God's righteousness, which today for us is faith in Jesus who came and died as a sacrifice for us. Now, I am laboring this point a lot. But what's really interesting about this point is this point is not in the passage we read today. What Jesus is doing here is he has grabbed his friends, his followers, his disciples, and he's brought them up on the mountain, and he has said to them, guys, you need a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But if the answer to hunger and thirst for righteousness is just believe in Jesus and you're done, then he wouldn't have said it in this this way. And it begs the question, what other elements of righteousness are there to unpack? Now, But I wanted to, before I get to that next bit, Drive home the point that if you are not a Christian here tonight, really that's all you need to do. Have faith in Jesus. That is what earns righteousness. Everything else is a byproduct of that. And the main byproduct of that is conformity to the will of God. Once we profess a faith in Jesus, it's not outer conformity to rules, which the Jews in Romans are doing, but it becomes a righteousness of heart, mind, and motive. If you're taking notes, write that down. It is not the outward conformity to rules, but it becomes a righteousness of heart, mind, and motive. Today you can see when people are hungry for this righteousness, can't you? This conformity to God's will. We actually know people who are, who have that hunger. You can see it in daily life. And and there's people that you look around at and go, wow, they're godly, aren't they? I have mates who used to go every uh, Sunday. They would go to church. And then after church, every week, they'd go to an old school park in Gaimir. And they would pray in the dark, purely because they couldn't get enough prayer, so they wanted to keep doing it after church. Just this week, I turned to my grandma, who is lovely and is over there, uh, and you should say hi. 
um, and told her something, something pretty insignificant. I was just saying, oh, Grandma, I've been, I've been having a bit of trouble sleeping this week. And she said, Ethan, you've got to tell me these things. And I'm like, why? She says, because I love to pray. And I want to pray for you. And that's one of those moments of, oh, wow, that's your godly. <laughs> that's righteousness, isn't it? Loving it in prayer. You can tell when people have been reading their Bible, their delight in God's Word, for that is where God's will is. You can tell when people are reading books on Christian leadership or uh, on Christian living, uh, and you can tell when people are having regular gospel conversations with people that aren't Christians or, or with one another. Their hearts and minds and motives shift to be keen to follow God. It's extra evident when people become Christians for the first time. There is a hunger to know God better, and there's a shift internally as the Holy Spirit moves them towards following God for the first time. And we can see it happen in their lives, in the way they speak and act and live, and they can feel it in their hearts, mind and motives as they change. As Jesus changes everything about us to conform to God's will, His good and perfect will. And maybe, for us, uh, particularly those of us who have been Christians for a while, there's a bit of jealousy there sometimes. Or maybe the feeling of a bit of a rebuke. And that, wow, they're godly, can actually shift and be like, oh, they're real Christian, aren't they? Well, they're very godly. And I was like, I'm a Christian, but like, wow. I have a friend who, uh, quite a while ago now, uh, started getting really involved in church, uh, started getting really involved in ministry. Uh, they committed to several ministries and they, they jumped into Bible study every week and they were doing all sorts of things and it was, it was great. And uh, their Christian, they were telling me one day that their parents, who were Christians and had been Christians for a very, very long time, were disparagingly calling their child the holy one of the family. And, and it was just, it was, all, it was all in good fun, right? It was all in good jest. But, it, but it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Of going, oh, well, yes, we've been Christians for a long time and we're, we're definitely ticking that first box of righteousness. But we don't need to try too hard. We don't need to dive too much into it. Maybe it's our Australian tall puppy syndrome. But we can fall into the trap of cutting people down for trying for righteousness. But here Jesus is saying... As Christians, this is the righteousness we need to live for. The righteousness we, in the words of RJ, live to eat. For those of us that are not Christians, you need that first one. The faith in Jesus, it'll change your life, it's incredible. But for those of us that are Christians already, and that's who Jesus is talking about in this passage, his disciples, he's saying you need right relationship with God and conformity to his will. But as I mentioned before, those of us who have been doing it for a long time, sometimes it feels hard to hunger and thirst for righteousness in our daily life. Those examples I gave before can be fleeting and can be seasonal. And I want to admit something, in my life, uh, it feels like the hunger comes and goes. Uh, I, even I struggle to maintain it, and I'm in ministry. Like I, I'm paid to be here, 
and I struggle with that. For, before I was paid to be here, I worked in real estate, uh, and that was even harder. Being in a workplace surrounded by people whose hunger and thirst was not uh, for God um, or food, but for cars and cameras and, uh, and gadgets and, and new houses. Uh, I, was in, I was in real estate videography, and so I'm really interested in cameras, and cameras were really great, all, albeit personal, not everyone can relate to this one, but they're a great example of this. Because every year, specifically, one model of camera releases, the Sony mirrorless cameras release a new camera every year. And that's one of the crazy amount of people that are releasing cameras. And every year, the internet loses their minds and decide that everyone needs to get the new one. And that's not to mention the plethora of different lenses that exist and the plethora of different gadgets that you can add on and you can buy cages and build. And Anyway, the point of this is A, I do a lot of reading about cameras, but B, the point of this is that when the world screams, you need this for your life, for your job, for your home, how do we hunger for God? When the world is saying, hunger for this, this is so much better, this is what you need. I think... The answer to that question is twofold. The first answer is along the lines of what the raccoon was saying in the video. It's eating to live and it's living to eat. And what's that look like in, in words that aren't about food? It's letting Jesus change your heart, your mind and your motives and letting Jesus change your life. A really little example. It's actually not that little, and you'll see why in a moment. But a little example is Philip Jensen talks about the priorities, the Christian, uh, some priorities in the Christian life. And he says, the right order uh, for, for, this, for this kind of decision that I'm about, that you'll, you'll understand in a moment, the right order should be find a church, then find a job, then find a house. Not the other way around. Church is so often the thing that gets sacrificed in big life decisions, isn't it? Because I can find a church anywhere, right? So I, I, better, I better make sure uh, I go to the place that I fit best in my work or the place that is, is best for my life in, in, my, in my household. Uh, and maybe, maybe that, that's okay. It's not wrong to prioritize those things, but it is worth thinking about. Because if we're conforming to God's will, as hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like, if we're conforming to God's will, His Word says that we should prioritize church, that we should never give up meeting to one another, meeting with one another and spurring one another on to love and good deeds. We should be like Jesus who laid Himself down for the church and so we should lay down our lives for one another. But church falls down that priority list all the time. This isn't big for all of us, but it also isn't little for all of us. And, and, but this, this particular example, not, not everyone at Solis uh, lives like this, and that's not what I'm trying to say by using this example. But Philip Jensen talks about the fact that it's, church is not even in the top three things to consider when we make big life decisions. And something that's easy to notice is that church is also often the thing that gets sacrificed in the little decisions too. Should I do X this weekend knowing I'll be too tired to go to church? Should I, go, should I do Y uh, on Saturday night 
because church is on next week, so I'll go then. And you know what, maybe I've labored that point, and maybe it isn't as little as an example as, as, as it may seem at first. But here's a really big example. And uh, this, one's, this one's going to come up on the screen. Luther goes leaps and bounds further than, um, than Philip Jensen. He says, the command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out, if that's where you have been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. What is required, he goes on to say, is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated, one that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishment and maintenance of the right, despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the whole world completely pious, then do what you can. Isn't that hardcore? That's a little bit more intense than Ethan on a Saturday night saying, prioritize church and read your Bible. This is your whole life. But this is what Jesus is saying. It's not about, uh, I, I, I struggled for ages to figure out the application for this. Because the takeaway, the, the, the easy little takeaway of this sermon is, is not like the other Beatitudes before it, which was just, uh, uh, be, understand that you're poor in spirit, mourn your sin and the, and the fallen nature of the world, be meek and practice humility. The application of this sermon is do all of those things, uh, the, uh, as I said in the Carson quote that I can chuck up on the board again, the man barked by poverty of spirit who grieves over sin and approaches God and man with meekness must also be characterized as hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because we do those ones beforehand, we do this one. If we are doing those ones beforehand, we are doing this one. We live to eat of the bread of life and drink living water. And what does that look like? It's not just read your Bible and pray. But if you're not doing that, do it. It's not just get into ministry, jump on a tea towel and help clean up in the kitchen. But if you're not doing that, do it. It's not just dive deeper into understanding God's words by picking up a book. But if you're not doing that, do it. There's heaps of great books. If you're already doing that, maybe it's dive deeper into godly Christian relationships, bringing God to the center of your friendships and bringing God into the center of your families. That's not the application, but if, if that is something you aren't doing, you should do that too. You see, there is always something to do. That Luther quote ended, if you cannot make the whole world completely pious, then do what you can. And so we live to eat, we live for God every day, we live to conform to the one to whom we are in right relationship with. And we do that knowing that one day that hunger, that thirst, that desire to conform to, the, to, to, the, to what we've been made to do, the last section of this verse says we will be filled. 
There we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus did some really cool miracles. Uh, and one of my favorites uh, is he fed 5,000 people at the same time. Uh, but at the end of that, he dipped because he wanted some space from the crowd. And in John chapter 6, after he retreats, and he, he goes off and does some other cool stuff, and then they find him on the other side of the river. And this group of people are like, hey, Jesus, can we have some more food? And he's like, guys, n- no, that's not what I'm here for. Like, yes, the food, I'm sure the food was great, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for something else. He says in verse 27 of, of John chapter 6, it should come up on the screen, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, they said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Righteousness, step one, believe in Jesus. And then they all say, well, okay, we'll believe in you, but like, give us a sign. And when they say give us a sign, they mean give us more food. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe the food, like, you, like God gave our ancestors in the desert. And verse 32 on the screen, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's right here in this beatitude, it's right here in this teaching of Jesus, you will be satisfied by him. He is the bread of life, he is the living water. And if you turn to him for righteousness, he will give it to you in excess. He will give you relationship with God in excess. He will conform you to the will of God in excess. But you need a hunger for that. We just need to want it. We need to need it. We need to live to eat of it. And as we hunger and thirst, our lives will change. It will be, as Luther said, an insatiable hunger. Because only in heaven will we be free of sin and therefore properly, as the original passage means, the the word at the end, filled, it means fattened, stuffed, colloquially. And when we get to heaven, we will be filled, we will be stuffed with perfect relationship with God for eternity, and that is something we need. One way.